Welcome to another edition of Michael L. Craver Presents. A little special, little short one today. Some of you guys are used to those kind of things. I've got uh, some notes that I took, I've accumulated from my different avenues, uh, my therapy, and I've, I've had a couple of different ways. Uh, not that recording and writing isn't its own therapy, but um, I made notes when I was going through different sessions, I thought, you know what? I gonna spare you having to go down that road and find somebody and see if you're compatible. And you may not even ever get into these subjects or find these resources. But here I am with a sort of bibliography. Um, this stuff is based in fact. It's not the same as the Council on Nicaea. So if you're thinking of bibliography let's get something to do with religious text it doesn't the bible doesn't cite any real uh <clears throat> well let's stay away from the um, from those folks constantine was a nice guy he had good intentions so did kirk cobain um my one of the things that i and i've approached it in in this podcast is uh just to start off is is my approach to things that i've had to to sort of explain to people explain to my Counselor, that I'm a what-if guy. I'm not telling you how to do anything. That's what the whole podcast experience is for. It's open to interpretation. So you, you can think what you want to think. You can do what you want to do, as you should. And yet, uh, I'm going to you know throw some things out there that are more or less, hey, man, what if? What if you tried it a different way? What if, what if there are other possibilities? Conversational consequences. Hey, I like that, that term. I think I wrote that down while I was in uh, one of my sessions and said, hmm, you remember one of my earlier episodes? I, I said, you know, say you can say whatever you want to people. That's part of free speech, right? But you never know what it will cost you. Well, the conversational consequences It's more or less the, the verbal uh, collateral damage that comes from those things. I mean, it's, it's important to have... Your um, accountability be very, very high in the world. You really want to make sure that you're somebody who people can depend on. But at the same time, maybe stand behind what you say. And if you need to apologize or you need to go, you know, come back and say, whoa, I had bad information or now I have better information, don't be afraid to do that too. I mean, I was covering that in the last episode. Yeah, I was in a relationship with somebody for just the longest time. And the question to, you know, the instigator was always, hey, 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 when's the last time you were wrong? <laughs> never, I've never been wrong. I'm fucking undefeated, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, apology formula. Yeah, he was telling me that there's an apology formula uh, underneath this guy's podcast, Stephen. Um, I didn't go look it up and, and follow through with this note. That's why I'm mentioning that to you, because if you leave incomplete notes or you don't follow up on leads... Um, that is a stone that remains unturned. And um, if anything can be learned from the life of Brian, uh, stones can be very useful. Uh, trust takes time and consistency. 
you can see how outcomes change. And that's right. You know, if you, in order to, to be able to trust or retrust somebody, I've never heard that term before, so it's going to be mine. Retrust. Uh, you're going to, you know, need time um, to measure consistency, to see consistency. I think everybody can understand that. You want to, you know, see a pattern of behavior, and that's why you, you your job and everything else has evaluations and you want to see what somebody's going to be like, and you somewhat want them to be predictable um, for trust. Um, trust can build interest. Yeah, or I, I wrote down this: trust can build interest like bank deposits. Yes, I mean I think that's true. The, the more that you deposit into that trust well, or that trust uh, fund. See what I did there? Uh, you're going to be able to um, reap the benefits of it, and that's that's a good thing. Um, Figure out and ask what you need. You can never guess. I think that's very important to ask somebody what they need and to be able to say to them, here's what I need. I mean, it's, these are, that seems relatively simple, doesn't it? When's the last time you sat down with somebody and said, hey, you know, I'm not getting what I, I need out of this job? Now, I want you to remember the George Carlin bit, and I actually will uh, interject uh, sound bites into this show. So right here, you're going to hear the, the George Carlin bit. Now what about these people who tell you their needs aren't being met? You run into this stuff? This is support group shit, 12-steppers. My needs aren't being met. Know what I tell them? Drop some of your needs. Life is a zero-sum game. You see, <laughs> drop some of your needs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's just one of those things where people are going to they're always going to think that in their value terms, you know, maybe something is necessary. And to you, it's, it's, it's unnecessary. What's the name of that movie? Necessary Roughness. Interesting, interesting twist. And I have here, uh, foreplay begins with talking. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And um, I'm not in a relationship, so there's a good chance that uh, this hidden material that I tucked away and, and didn't put in earlier episodes will come to light in the near future when it comes to the, the realm of intimacy. Uh, maybe I should do a whole series on that. The whole foreplay begins with talking comes from just finding someone that you're compatible with, but it's to get their eyes to light up and not by calling them a motherfucker or something like that, right? Because that's rule number three. You got the first step in any process is to give a fuck. Number two is or, you know, don't be a bitch, <laughs> as we say. You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be laying underground pushing up dick pills down in Florida. Um, and the other thing you don't want to be doing is um, rule number three. That's after the fact, and that's being difficult to deal with. Stop being a motherfucker. You know, you, you just don't. You just don't do that. You you try to you know eliminate all the positives before you go to the negatives. Let's, but I, I genuinely believe that if you're having a conversation with somebody, you've got this dialogue, this rapport with them, that being able to um, go back to that. If it's a friend, a business partner, whatever sort of social or professional relationship you may have, to be able to go back into those inside jokes and reference the things that that person finds more important than others, right? And recognizing those things and going back to those things, especially if you ask the things that other people don't ask. You know, nobody ever asked about how my pet iguana is doing. Oh, yeah, I saw your pants look kind of tight. You know, it's just one of those things. And 
you know, sometimes you want to be funny and sometimes you want to be very empathetic. Um, so I implore you, I urge you, what if you were to start asking the questions other people are not asking, number one. And number two, uh, what if you're just asking the things other people are asking in a more meaningful way? You want to make someone feel, you know, what you're trying to do is fill someone up. Well, not, I guess maybe you are. But, look, it's one of those things where you're trying to make somebody feel worthy inside. You want them to not feel empty. You want them to feel, you know, as if they're part of the human experience and our community at large, quite frankly. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, he was telling me about these studies with marriage clinics to go to manage conflict. And in marriages and these studies that they've had about marriages, that seven out of ten marital conflicts end with no resolution. Well, that seems disappointing. Uh, this is very much credit. Content is highly complex. Yeah, you, you try to give each other you know, credit for your side of the solution, etc., etc., Um but at the same time, the context is highly complex. Like, you know, you can't just give the other person what they want because you have your own, you know, needs. And so you kind of agree to disagree. And that's why there's no resolution. Uh, sometimes you, it's I look, I'm going to take this one and, and I'm going to give it up. Right. I take one for the for the team, so to speak. You win this time. Maybe I'll win next time. Well, apparently those don't factor into this seven out of ten. That's still considered no resolution. Uh, because you're you're not working together to find a common resolution, one person is is submitting, uh, and and you know that's just how it is. And I sit here and I go, oh well, how many times have I done that? You'd think you're paying it forward by acting that way, by um, looking around and saying, you know what, I'll I'll fight another day. This is not my hill to die on. Well, maybe it wasn't the other person's hill to die on. Maybe you should agree to disagree, not give it up. I have outcomes I see in my head, but I can't seem to get there. Yeah, I think that's true for everybody. It's a different note here that you you go to therapy sometimes for those specific situations. Hey, I've got dreams for myself. I have professional goals. My family is, is not as close-knit. It's not a cohesive unit, as as Jim Ross might say. But you see those goals in your head. I mean, that's why you go to other people and you work with them. And these other concepts like building trust over time bring the units closer together. The apology formula that I mentioned, right? You apologize. You say you're sorry. You're working together. You, In, in a way, perhaps you're giving part of yourself up to apologize. Right, at the mercy of the other person, you're making yourself vulnerable, but you're volunteering a character trait that you would like in return. Right, isn't that that's the whole concept? You lead by example, <laughs> and so you you want to be able to do those things. And if you show that you are capable of those things, in some ways, you're the better person because you're exhibiting and you possess these behaviors. The other person you hope will come along and catch up to. So it turns out you're the pitcher and they're the catcher. How to change dance steps. And that was an important thing that uh, 
my therapist was talking about with me is how to change depth steps, how to your your dance is your conversation, your relationship, you know, the the way you give and take everything. And if you don't like the the way that it's going so much like with a heart rate, you know, you got the you know, when somebody's got AFib or they we need to get their beat back in rhythm. It's not like going over and smacking the bass player in the head. You know, sometimes you have to do something a little more drastic. You use the defibrillator, which I always thought was a way to shave some kind of, you know, animal with hair on it. But that's not true. That's not what a defibrillator is. It's a, the paddles, you know. And it's just like the people at Visine yell right before they close every box, Clear! Well, maybe that's not what they do. Um, but really, how do you change your depth steps? Like, what's that going to do to the other person, right? Cause some people aren't a good dancer to, f- to begin with, and they have a very hard time working and swaying and matching the rhythm. And uh, it's very important to be able to, to adapt like that, right? Sometimes, you know, there's, there's going to be people who go through faster growth than others. They're going to be... In, more depressed than another, right? So some people need picking up. And, well, I guess you got old yeller. Some people need putting down. But it's one of those things where uh, I was trying to make, trying to think of that woman's name, Terry Shavo, um, that when you're changing dance steps and when you're working with your partner, you know, man, he's just going too fast. Well, can you keep up with him? I don't want to keep up with him. All right, well, maybe he needs to change. Maybe you got to meet in the middle, right? It's one of those things where you need to figure each other out. Tell them what you need. Don't make them guess. Don't give these half-hearted answers either. Hey, are we going to go out on uh, Tuesday night at 6 p.m.? Well, you know, I was thinking about um, what coat I might wear. What the f- Okay, but are we going out? Like, you know... So if you can't wear a coat, or we, does it depend on the coat? I don't. I don't understand. You want to make sure that what you're doing clarifies everything. I've said this in earlier episodes. You know, if if you believe in what you're telling somebody, that's the truth. But when you have different facts, right, then now you're being dishonest because you know the facts don't line up with what you're saying. So oh, you're not telling the truth, and that comes from discovery. You know. Um. When you change dance steps, sometimes you'll get angry. Or you have feelings. Sometimes you get close to each other, right? And you just slow dance. And then there's other times where somebody steps on your foot and you, you're kind of unhappy with that. Um, but in the, in the end, and I have this in quotations from my therapist, it says, you are not emotional. I'm sorry, you are, you're not emotional. Well, number one, I'm not emotional. Uh, little Freudian slip there, maybe. What if it was something I never said? Would that be a Freudian slip? Uh, it says in quotations here, you are not responsible for another person's emotional well-being. And that's something to remember. And I think it's an old Eleanor Roosevelt quote. You know, you're, you are only going to be as unhappy as you let somebody else make you, something along those lines. Um, hope is a wonderful thing uh, for anybody. Uh, but um, you got to remember, you're in charge of your emotional well-being. Somebody talks down to you, and you don't value it, and guess what? You're still happy. You're the one that places the value on what other people say and whether or not you're going to let them get any mileage out of their communication with you. 
uh, what is this, more illogical and disengaged. So if someone is more illogical and disengaged, you might, and this is his recipe for getting the, the dance and the conversation back on course, to re-engage. So if they're being illogical, they're disregarding or disengaged. You want to re-engage is the term. You want to do that by counting to 10. You might look around the room and find 10 things in this room, 10 things in common. Just do something to kind of reset your mind. Clear out the next few angry things that are in there. Um, I mean, it's, you know, people who are in those states, they, they, they could have a lot of anxiety. They could have anger. They could have bipolar disorder. And counting to 10 and that refreshing things can really bring people a, a little bit of... Um, it's kind of like stretching before you run or you work out. You want to tear a muscle. You want to scream at people if you can remain calm. You have a window. I don't remember if this is his term or my term, but you have a window of tolerance. No, this is his term. He said this is a study that they did. People have a window of tolerance. And when you start getting outside of that window, above or below this window, well, obviously it's it's too much to tolerate or it's not enough to, to be on the radar. And... Um, that is an, what I think is a very important um, piece of the pie is, is tolerance. What are you willing to, to work with? What are you willing to put up with? Um, safeguards and prevention. If you have uh, anxiety, you could be like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of person if you're one of these people out there. You know that you have a lot of anxiety. Look at what causes that anxiety. Same thing as you, you know, hey, this is going to cause my heart to beat really fast. It's going to cause me to have cancer, a headache, whatever it might be. If I drop this anvil on my foot, it's probably going to make my foot flat. You ever watch Wiley Cody? Yeah, don't fucking do it. The safeguard is to avoid the situation, the ingredient, whatever it might be that puts you in jeopardy, is, is my word, jeopardy. Uh, here it says loneliness will activate your reptilian brain, which is, if you guys are out there, you can study anything about your mammalian brain and your, your, your reptilian brain. You've got, you know, this theme of uh, this loneliness thing, this isolation kind of sends you into depression. The sense of community and having a network, having people around you is extremely important to um, happiness. And if, you know, you may believe something different as if isolation is a good thing. You're welcome to talk about these subjects with some of the masters, some of the great writers of our time, David Koresh, uh, Ted Kaczynski, guys like that. Uh, reframing an, an image in context. And that's true. Somebody says something to you and you don't understand it. Maybe you're upset about it. The idea of reframing an image in context is to let that person clarify, tell you what their intentions are, and maybe you can see it a little more in line with their vision. Now, hopefully they didn't mean it maliciously. This is specifically designed, this term here, to help you better understand one another and where you're coming from. So you're reframing an image in context because what you want to do is understand and not escalate. That's important, understanding without escalation. You want to live in a way that does not reflect boundaries. Yeah, I mean, I'm like that. I don't like having, you know, you like free speech and freedom of religion and guns and all that stuff in America. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, some of us are, are so thankful and, you know, God bless America to be here. And I think we all understand that. You're living somewhere else with censorship and they're taking a lot of, you know, your what we consider liberties away. It makes you very unhappy to think that. 
We get pissed off that other people don't have what we have. That's the right thing, right? The whole Ten Commandments where you can't covet thy neighbor's goods, that's the opposite. But you, when you want other people to have what you have, <laughs> that's a good thing. One on one can be the same as improv. Yeah, I, I think that's true. When you're having a conversation with somebody and you're trying to figure them out, your improvisation is vitally important to the health of that conversation, to that relationship. You run into danger. What are you going to do? You got to improvise. You got to adapt. You got to overcome. I'll put that clip in here from from Gunny Highway from Clint Eastwood, Heartbreak <laughs> Ridge, because it's one of my favorite movies as well. Oh, yeah, that looks nice. Real nice. Oh, yeah. Slick. It smells like a Ben Gay factory around here. Strip off those T-shirts. Gunny, we're all the same. The same as me? How the hell are we supposed to know what kind you of T-shirt? You improvise, you overcome, you adapt. Now get off those goddamn T-shirts now. But, I mean, it's very important to be able to come up with reasonable solutions to things. And improvisation is not just what Drew Carey and Ryan Stiles do. It's uh, it's a very important role in being able to problem solve out in the real world. Um, safe and healthy arguments uh, when you have an altercation. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm detailing that in various other levels here. I think that should be transparent. Uh, when you're negotiating, you want to get rid of the no's before you get to the yes. I think that's important. He was telling me about this... Um, Never Split the Difference uh, by Chris Ross is a book he was um, more or less pushing on me. He said, you go read this book. I bought a car using this book. Never Split the Difference by, by Chris Ross. And uh, Social Context and Behavioral Economics. Yeah, I, I think that's it's very important to go, and, and if you don't know what those terms are, you do a little bit of reading. Social context is, and your social contract with other people, is all about you know the behavior that we all have with each other. Um, it's very important to uh, be able to depend upon one another. And that's more or less your, your social contract. Um, and I think it's important, the second part of that, the behavioral economics of that is, what will your actions cost you? And I talked about that you know, several times over uh, in, in this episode and in, in previous things. What are those actions going to cost you? Are you going to be happy with uh, who you are and you know, go out in the world and, and be um, benefiting from your choices? Or at the same time, are you going to be a person who... Your behavioral economics are, you know, your anger, your frustration, your showing your ass in public and that kind of stuff. That's where I say you never know what it'll cost you. So that's an extremely important part of your actions is to know the, the as I said, the no, negotiating the no before the yes. It's extremely important for you to be able to go out there and put everything that you say not only into the accountability is is the word i'm thinking of when you're an asshole it could cost you a lot right it could cost you a reputation it could cost you a relationship a home a job whatever that's behavioral economics behavior and it could be directly tied to fiscal economics so anyway i was i was cutting this short i'm supposed to be in a meeting at this point and it's uh it's an interesting tuesday a lot going on in the world thank you for listening to me i appreciate your time as always and uh 
you, you know how to get a hold of me. So if you got any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, catch me and, and throw it my way. You guys take care of yourself, and I'll see you soon.